I'm so touched um, today as I've thought about not only this last year of ministry, as you saw a few pictures of that, but I thought of conversations I had when I first began, or first began at Reformation. Conversations of some members saying, oh, you'll be here to close us down um, if you last the f more than two years. Um, conversations where we, we rejoiced after we had a baptism for the first time in many years. Or when we confirmed a kid first time in many years and now a confirmation class of over 15, 16. Or music when we were trying to sing and it sounded like someone was choking frogs. I'm not kidding either. God has truly blessed us. God has blessed us indeed. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, you are good to us. And we ask, gracious Father, that you would speak to us this morning about your love and mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those first-time giver or first-time people here, I have, to, I have to say that I don't usually talk about pledge drives and stewardship. I always make that announcement because it's one time a year and you just happen to come on that one Sunday. So please come again. <laughs> After church service, only Lena and Sven were talking together about the pastor's message on cheerful giving. Oli and Lena, were, they were telling Sven that, you know, we don't find any joy in giving whatsoever. And Sven says, that's funny, I have great joy in giving. Why, why don't you have any joy? Is it, how do you decide what to give? And Oli said, well, I draw a circle around me in the dirt, and I throw my money up in the air. And whatever lands inside the circle, I give to God. Whatever lands outside the circle... I keep. Lena says, oh, I, I too draw a circle around me. I throw the money up in the air. Whatever lands outside the circle goes to God. And whatever lands inside goes, I keep. And Sven says, you know, I can see why you aren't cheerful in your giving. You see, what I do is I take my money and I throw it up in the air. And I say to God, catch! <laughs> and whatever he wants, he keeps. And whatever lands on the ground is mine. And he goes, don't you know, I'm always a cheerful giver. <laughs> Today we're talking about cheerful giving. What is cheerful giving? Cheerful giving is the giving a Christian does out of the freedom of the gospel. I'll say that again. Cheerful giving is giving out of the freedom a Christian has in Christ. There's no compulsion in cheerful giving. There's meant to be no guilt, no shame. Only freedom. Cheerful giving looks something like this. There was a fifth grader who was sitting in church one Sunday as the congregation, they were talking about missionaries. And they knew the next week the missionaries were coming. And so the fifth grader decided for the rest of the next week, he decided to take his lunch money and not buy lunch. Instead, he saved it every day. And on Sunday, he came with his dollars in hands, with a big smile on his face. And he gave an offering to the missionaries. Now, he wasn't told to do this. There's no guilt or shame in it. It's something he wanted to do. It's something he was excited to do. That's cheerful giving. Now, as Lutherans, we're great at being cheerful givers. I mean this sincerely. We, we give to all kinds of people. We give to all kinds of ministry. I've shared this story before. Some of you have heard it. Many of you haven't. About Timothy Wenger, the pastor, theologian, shares a story where a member of his congregation asked 
if they could raise, um, collect clothing um, for people in, on the Texas-Mexico border. And Timothy Wangert said, that's fine, you can put in the newsletter, make announcement, I will make announcement, that's it. And he wasn't expecting much. I mean, they're in Wisconsin, he just, there was no real tie. Well, the day it was, came to collect the, the materials, the clothing, and he said he was shocked when the congregation brought a half a ton of clothing. 330 members brought a half a ton of clothing. There's so much, they couldn't afford to ship it. And so one of the members said, I'll drive it. And drove a truck from Wisconsin down to the Mexico-Texas border, dropped it off, and came back. Cheerful giving. That's what Lutherans do. That's what we do. I can't help but think of the members of this congregation. The recycling is proof of cheerful giving, where people bring down cans and copper. I think of Daryl, who cut himself as he was trying to strip copper wire. Why? Because he just wanted to give. He gave cheerfully. And those ladies who crushed those cans every week, and it, it spread. It's infectious as, as people who I don't even know come by and drop off cardboard and everything else. It's great. That's cheerful giving. Or collecting the supplies that we've received out of the narthex for school kids, for kids in the third world countries. Cheerful giving. Or giving to the building fund or giving to the offering. Cheerful giving. This congregation, you guys are great at being cheerful Givers. I want to say that again. I mean, you guys are great at it. In fact, when, when congregations hear about, about what, we're, what we're doing, and they're amazed at a church our size and, and what we're venturing out to do. They're amazed at it. I'm not. I got a gr wonderful group of people who are cheerful givers. And yet, when the economy starts going shaky, when there's woes. Cheerful giving is always at stake. And what I mean by that is, is as the doomsday comments are made that the sky is falling, and they, they probably recycle every about 10 years. It's a different sky is falling, right? I mean, it's, it's 10 years ago, the, the crime rate was so bad that pretty soon in America, every single person was going to be a victim of crime. And now, after they made that statement, it actually came down, you know. I mean, those things happen. But when all these doomsday comments happen, we get afraid. And we're no longer cheerful givers. We're cheerless givers because we're giving and we're afraid. We're afraid what's going to happen. And we're under compulsion. It's no longer freedom. It's no longer faith. It's almost just obedience. And so it's not free. It's not cheerful. And so we need to be reminded that we are free in Christ. So reminded that, that our giving is free giving. It's out of freedom that we give. Now in our reading from 2 Corinthians, we find the Apostle Paul reminding the people, the people of Corinth, to be cheerful givers. And how he does it is, back in chapter 8, he begins by talking to them about the Macedonians and how gracious they were in their giving to collect money for the poor in Jerusalem. And so Paul writes in chapter 8, he says this about the Macedonians. He says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They utterly pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not 
do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So in other words, the Macedonians did a great job, Paul's saying. But then he says to these Corinthians, he says, you've been generous as well. In chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Acacia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. And so in other words, you guys are cheerful givers, he's saying. And now when he's writing the rest of this about cheerful giving, he's simply saying it's time that we're going to finish strong here, and it's time to, to remind ourselves to be cheerful in our giving. And now it's important, I want to say, to, to get them, to urge them, to get them excited about this. It's important of what he doesn't do or what he doesn't say. Paul makes no mention of tithing. Zero. You can't find that in any of Paul's writing whatsoever. You can't even find mention of it in the New Testament, apart from an example that Jesus might give. But he doesn't make any mention of tithing. He doesn't make any mention of a good or bad economy. He doesn't tell them to look to Wall Street or to Caesar or something like that to determine what they're going to give. Paul does not bring up a person to stand in front of them and give a testimony how giving had changed their lives. He doesn't do that. Paul doesn't have a sneaky campaign. Paul doesn't shame them. He doesn't say, oh, look how generous you are. You should give more. He doesn't do any of that. Nothing. No techniques, no ploys. Why? It's about free giving. Instead, he reminds them of farming. Maybe because they're a farming community, but he reminds them of farming. And in chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In other words, he's saying, be generous in your sowing, and you'll be generous in your harvesting. Now, you guys all understand that, the parable of the good sower. What did the sower do? He took grain and he threw it. Did he throw it just on the good land? No, on rocky soil, on thorny soil, on the pavement. Why? Because that's what you do when you harvest. You throw lots of seed. You throw it all over the place. Because the more you sow, the more you reap. I mean, you, you guys are a little awake this morning. No? <laughs> But that's what he's saying. He, he's saying that, but he's, he's saying much more than that. Because doesn't it seem to us that the idea of farming and throwing seed onto the ground seems wasteful? Doesn't it? And when you think of good seed, stuff that you can eat, and for you to instead take that seed and to throw it on the ground, and to throw it generously on the ground, seems wasteful. It seems that's not right. But the farmer knows that yes, the seed was made for eating, but the seed is also made to be thrown onto the ground. It's designed by God to literally die in the ground and to resurrect and to bring new life. That's how it was created. In fact, the farmer of all people knows that his entire life depends upon God's generosity. Think about it. The farmer knows that it's God who provides the seed. God provides the soil 
God provides the rain. God provides the sun. And God does some kind of work when the seed's in the ground so that it comes up differently. Right? I mean, this is what farmers know. They know that they don't have much that they can do apart from throw that seed as much as they can and, and, and you know, maybe make rows if, if need be, stuff like that. But they know that it's all up to God. Their life depends upon God and God's provision and God's generosity. How many of you remember the, the children's story, The Garden, with Frog and Toad? Any of you remember this, where, where Toad decides to plant a garden? Some of, you, some of you, you remember this, right? I remember this. And so Toad throws the seeds into the ground. And he's mad that they're not growing. So he says, grow! And he's yelling at the seeds to grow. Doesn't happen. And so Frog comes up to Toad and says, you know, you probably scared them. They're never going to grow. So you might want to be nice to them. And so then Toad starts saying nice things to them and being really nice, trying to sweet talk them out of growing. Doesn't grow. And so finally he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, it grew, right? And that's how it works. You can yell at seeds. You can sweet talk seeds. You can curse seeds. It doesn't make any bit of difference. They grow in God's timing. They grow in God's way. That's what the farmer knows. He knows that his whole life depends upon God. And so he throws perfectly good seed into the ground, knowing that God resurrects it. God raises it from the dead in order to provide a harvest. That's why Paul, knowing this, says in verses 8 through 10, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every, or literally all, good works. As it's written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And so in other words, your whole life depends on God. And guess what God and his goodness provides? Now we all know this. I've been thinking back about when I got married to Jamie. Right out of college. Or right out of seminary. No house. No income. No insurance. No children, you know. Some clothes. No debt except, you know, student loans. So really, at that point, I was in the hole, you know. Jamie, same thing. Married seven years. We have kids. The student loans are less. <laughs> we have a house. We can we're we're living this year on one income instead of the two as we're as the second baby's born. And God's blessed us more than we could ever imagine. More than we ever knew. And it's amazing. This week I, I told Jamie, I called her up and said, Sweetie, let's go out to dinner this week. And I go, because God's been so good to us. Let's just go. And we did, and we had a great time. You know. But that's what God does. He takes care of us. You know this. I mean, I think when we get worried about the economy, we're worried because we have so much now, and we're afraid of losing it. 
Instead of thinking back to what we started with and how God's provided and he's cared for us. God has, has given and been blessing. He's blessed us all throughout our lives. All throughout our days, God's been so good to us. Now, farmers know this. And farmers know that after reaping a lot and sowing a big harvest, there's stuff to do with that big harvest. And what do farmers do? They, they obviously, they pay their bills with the harvest. They set aside seed for next year. They make sure that the family's fed. And then if there's still left over, what do they do? They share it. They share it with those in need. Why? Because they know fruit's no good if it falls off the ground and just rots. I mean, there's some for fertilizer, but as a whole, it, it's no good. When you have extra, you share it. I love my, my dad, who is the world's greatest and worst farmer in the world. And here's why. He's great because everything he plants grows and grows and grows and grows. But he always plants a hundred times more than we could ever need. And he doesn't have time to sell it. And so instead of one row of corn, you know, he'll, he'll do ten rows. And we can't eat it all. So what does he do with all this extra? Because you can't let it just sit there and die. The boys, we'd pick all the, the vegetables and bag it up and go to the community center and give it away. Or here at church, how many people bring avocados or, or lemons to the church and just say, take it? Or tomatoes. I love all you guys when you bring tomatoes. I'm... <laughs> right? Because that's what you do. Why? Because it's no good for it to fall into the ground. And that's what Paul's saying here. It's no good for once the harvest has come to let it just die in the ground. You give it away. God's been generous. You share. That's what you do. You help your neighbor in need. How many of you have seen the movie The Sweet Land? I'll explain. Yeah, you, yeah there's a few of us. It's set in northern Minnesota with a Norwegian Lutheran community, farming community, 1920s. Any of you know, recollect this movie? I guess it's just Rick and I. We'll have to show it here because it's so good. It's a great movie, I promise. Anyway, it's, it's a wonderful thing about immigrant culture, about Lutheran culture, 1920s. I mean, there's all these storylines. But what's interesting is that their farm community and his best friend, the farm's going to foreclose on him. And Olaf, the, the main character, I mean, good, right? Olaf. Yeah. He comes to his friend's need. Comes to his aid. He, he, when the farm's going to be foreclosed, because the friend got in total trouble, he brought it on himself. Olaf comes, he buys the farm knowing they couldn't afford it. <laughs> Why? Because he needed help. His buddy. And then the community, that event, that event of, of reaching out, I mean, it's spontaneous almost. It's just, he reached out and he realized afterwards, he goes, what I do? But in coming to the aid of his friend, the whole community was changed in redeeming his friend, buying his friend back. The community was changed. Grace abound. Lives were, were touched. That's what Paul's writing about. In verse 11, Paul says, You will be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, farmers, God blesses you with more than enough so then you can share it. Or for us as Christians, God provides us with so much, our daily bread and beyond, for our neighbor in need. 
That's how God works. That's how he's designed. But doesn't this sound familiar for us? I mean, you've heard this before, and it's not just about giving at all. You've heard about death and resurrection before. You've heard about coming to the aid of one in need. You've heard about one who would do this with joy. I'm not necessarily even talking about giving now. seems like I'm talking about Jesus. For Jesus is that seed who was buried into the ground, dying and then raising from the dead. John 11:24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about his own death. And then Jesus came to rescue his neighbor, and Jesus paid a great price for that. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus did all of this cheerfully. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the, you know this verse, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't you see? It's Jesus who's that seed that's scattered abundantly all over the place. Why? So that, so that there would be a reap, a great harvest, that you would be his harvest. And Jesus is that generous neighbor who gives of all that he has so that we who are in need could have it. And Jesus does this not begrudgingly. Jesus does this not because he has to. Jesus does this not because, oh man, we've got to do something. Jesus does it with joy. It loves to do this. He loves to do this. Why? Because he's grabbing you and keeping you and having you. Because that's how Jesus is. With joy he does this. But this shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus is the cheerful giver. Who gives of himself on the cross. Who gives of himself in the word as we read it. Who promises to be with us as we pray. Who gives of himself in the waters of baptism. Who gives of himself in the, in the, at the table and the bread and the wine. That's what Jesus does. Joyfully abundantly giving of himself for you. And then he calls the church to go out and do the same to the world. So the harvest will be great, glorious, amazing. Now this is the sweetest part of all. Because of Jesus, you're free. Because of Jesus, you no longer have to feel guilty for what you give or what you don't give. Because of Jesus, there's no more shame. Jesus paid your price. Jesus gave your tithe. Jesus is your offering. You are now free. And you can do with it whatever you want. It's my prayer that what you want to do will be to give. To give all that you've received to give. So you might give generously and abundantly knowing that you are free. And so Reformation Christians people saved by the grace of God be generous so generously reap generously share generously love 
generously. Volunteer generously. Be generous to one another. Be kind to one another. Will this sacrifice, will there be sacrifice in this? Well, yeah. Will there be sweat? Well, I don't know a, far, a farmer who doesn't sweat at his work. They're tough people. But there's also joy. And also grace and mercy. Joy knowing that there's a great harvest that occurs. And there is plenty of the Lord to go around. And even more so. And so let us, as Christians, be cheerful givers. God loves cheerful givers because God is the cheerful giver. Let's just pray that God would, would change us and let those words sink in. So let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, you are the cheerful giver, and we simply pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us at this time, that these words of truth would sink into our minds and hearts, that we are truly free, and that we are yours, and that you provide for us. Speak, Lord, your word into our, our, our hearts. Bring peace to those places that are filled with turmoil. And make us generous, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.